You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. Right? That's how some of us, we do our Bible reading. We never read the Bible, and then there's some events that, okay, I got it. This thing is coming up, or I need a, I really need God to answer my prayers. I'm going to put in my quiet time. I'm going to do my things, okay, so that God will change my life, my circumstances. And uh, they just do it when they have to do it. But I love this quote from Jen Wilkin. She says, for years, I viewed my interaction with the Bible as a debit account. I had a need, so I went to the Bible to withdraw an answer. But we do much better to view our interaction with the Bible as a savings account. I stretch my understanding daily. I deposit what I glean, and I patiently wait for it to accumulate in value, knowing that one day I will need to draw on it. And I love this analogy. Reading the Bible is like saving money. Okay, and if you ever saved money before, you know what I'm talking about. When you're living paycheck to paycheck, it's the most stressful thing in the world. Emergencies happen, and you have no money in the bank. You freak out. You don't know what to do. You're anxious. You're stressed. But if you save money over time, you know, you save every month. You put aside 50 bucks or 100 bucks to fill in the blank. Over time, when a crisis happens, you're okay. You can dip into your savings, your rainy day fund, so that you're not freaking out. And I think the same principle applies to reading the Bible. When you're regularly reading the Bible, you have spiritual resources stored up in your spiritual bank so that when crises happen, you can draw upon what you already know rather than going to the Bible just as a response to emergency or crisis situations. Or put it another way, when you are regularly reading the Bible, The biblical narrative is so clear, it's so strong in your mind, that no matter what narratives the world throws at you, they will pale in comparison. You'll think, you're telling me to do that? That's nothing compared to what I get to do over here. Or you're telling me I'm that? I don't want to be that. I already have this status, this position, this identity over here. Your narrative from the Bible is so strong and so clear that you don't need to be bombarded or, 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 or tossed around by all these competing narratives in the world. But if you don't regularly read the Bible, if you don't regularly read, then the biblical narrative cannot stand a chance because all these competing narratives will outlast it, will outperform it. And you won't have the foundation to stand on. So it's clear when we are reading the Bible, when we're hearing God's instruction, uh, we are providing for ourselves this compelling narrative that disrupts our cycle of sin and gives us this new identity. Um, So that's sort of the theological foundation. How do we do that? Let's get a little bit practical, okay? So many of you, you already know a lot of the stuff I'm talking about. You already have the conviction. When you came to church today, it's not like you're thinking, you know what, I don't think I should read my Bible anymore. Most of you, you, you're sort of in this boat where like, I think it's good to read the Bible, but I just don't do it. Okay, most of us were in that boat. So what do we do? Let's get a little bit practical. So, you know, some of us, we, we just, maybe we don't have time to read God's word. Maybe some of us, we do read God's word, but we feel like we don't really get much out of it. It's just sort of like, you know, brushing your teeth in the morning. You just sort of, you do it and uh, you don't really think about it. Um, here's some practical steps. Okay, these are not magic bullets, but these are just some things I do or things I've hear, I hear other people do or things I read about in books. Okay, number one, make little tangible steps. I think this is so key. You know, this happens all the time. I hear about this all the time. We hear a message like this, and we all of a sudden we say, you know what? I want to set some lofty goals, and I want to meet these lofty goals. 
And we get so discouraged when we don't meet these lofty goals. And so I'll just suggest you don't make lofty goals. You're setting yourself up for failure. So, you know, some of us, we don't read a lick of the Bible. And all of a sudden we get so passionate. We go, you know what? I want to read the Bible in a month. And, and then three days go by and you're like three books behind. Okay. And so don't do that. Or even if it's something like, you know what? I want to read 20 minutes every morning. And maybe if that's you, if, you've, if you're that kind of person, you can do it. That's great. But if you, right now, your average is zero, okay, it's a pretty high jump to get to 20. Um, so I, w- I would encourage you, just maybe just read one verse, one day, you know, three times, three times a week. Just read one verse and stew on that verse all, all day. Something like that. Do something simple, something small, something tangible. And then once you get that down, you do that for a month or so, you feel like you're doing pretty good, then add to it, okay? Don't set yourself up for failure. Number two, replace habits with better habits. This is pretty straightforward. You know, some of us, when we look at our schedule, uh, we feel like we have no time to, to do anything else. Our, our schedule is maxed out. And so we hear messages like this, well, I need to read the Bible more. You look at your schedule and go, what can I possibly, where can I even fit this? Do I just not eat dinner anymore? You know, how do I fit this into my life? And this is, this is just how, changing habits works, okay? If you've never changed habits before, this might be kind of revolutionary, but this is what you know, okay? If you want to change your habits, you have to change your habits, okay? It's pretty revolutionary. In order to add something to your schedule, you need to drop something from your schedule. That's just how it works. That's just math, okay? You don't have unlimited time. You don't have unlimited capacity. In order to add something like Bible reading, right now you have zero Bible reading. If you want to add 10 minutes of Bible reading a day, whatever. You got to drop doing something 10 minutes a day. And that might sound really challenging for you to do, but um, I think the way to do that is to look at your life and say, okay, I'm doing a lot of things. What are 10 minutes of things that I'm doing that it's not bad, but it's not the best thing to do? And I, I really encourage you, that's, that's the way to do it. You got to find something that you're currently doing. Maybe it's you watch Netflix or maybe you... Uh, you listen to music in the car instead of the Bible, whatever, you drop that and you add the Bible to your life. You know, this Wednesday, uh, as mentioned, we were kicking off the Lent season. And sometimes, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you've done this before, uh, sometimes people, when they approach the Lent season, what they do is they cut something out of their life. Um, they say, you know what, I'm not going to do social media or I'm not going to watch YouTube or I'm not going to um, uh, eat junk food or something like that. They, they cut something out of their life. And that's not bad to cut something out of your life. But what often happens is if you cut something out of your life, then you have a, a chasm, a hole, a, 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 a missing component in your life. And if you're not intentional, random things will just fill in. So instead of not watching YouTube, now you watch Vimeo or whatever, you know? Or instead of not watching basketball highlights, now you watch football highlights. Instead, not, instead of uh, not eating fried chicken, now you eat donuts, okay? Because you, you're, you're not intentional about filling it in. And so I would encourage you, uh, if you want to cut something out of your life, that's great. But then find something to, re- uh, to replace it, like Bible reading, okay? Swap something healthy for something unhealthy. Number three, read the Bible before you check your phone in the morning. Okay, this is very practical stuff. This comes straight out of that common rule book that Shelby was talking about. A lot of people these days, what they do, the first thing they do when they wake up in the morning is they look at their phone. Sometimes, okay, and if that's your habit, I do that a lot of times, okay. It's not the end of the world, but know you are setting your day up for failure in many ways. Why? 
Okay, this is what often, so for me, this, I'm not speaking for everybody. For me, oftentimes when I check my phone in the morning, there are three different things I'm checking, okay? One, do I have any emails or text messages that I need to respond to? Okay, and what does that make me do? It makes me feel anxious. It makes me go, oh, I forgot to do this. Oh, I need, I'm behind already. And it just sets me up to be in a bad mood. Or two, what happened on the news today? What happened on the news last night? Oh, this guy said what? Oh, this guy did what? And, you just set, and it just sets me up for a bad mood again. Or three, I look on social media, I look at people's feeds, and they go, oh, man, this person did what? And you start feeling envious or jealous. And, and again, you're just setting yourselves up. Most of the time, I would say the majority of the things you do on your phone in the short term feels pretty good, but in the long term, it just doesn't set you up very well. And so, but you sort of do it subconsciously. And many of us, we've been doing it for decades. I don't know about decades. We don't have smartphones about We've been doing it for several years, right? And so it's really difficult to break out of the habit. And we're so, un, we're so uh, we're unaware of how much that has shaped our lives. We don't even remember what it's like to not do that. Um, so when we do these things, what we're doing is we are, every day we are internalizing narratives. When we check the phone, we see what's going on in the news. We check the phone, we see what people are asking us to do. We check the phone and we see what people are doing all around the world and they're traveling here and traveling there and getting promoted or having great kids and all that stuff, okay? When we're doing those things, we are internalizing narratives. We're telling ourselves, oh man, I'm not good enough. Or man, our country is messed up. Or man, I'm so behind. And those narratives, they control what we do throughout the day. And it's kind of like, um, you know, you're playing basketball and uh, from the very beginning of the day, beginning of the game, you're saying, you know what? Hey, why don't you just score 10 shots on me and I'll just do nothing for a while. And before you actually start playing the game, you realize, you know, you're down 10-0. You're down 10-zip. And then you have to play catch up. And that's what, a lot, that's what checking the phone a lot of times does to us is we check the phone and we put ourselves in a bad mood and we're just not starting ourselves off right. And so instead, what you can do is read the Bible before you check your phone every morning. It's very straightforward. You just read the Bible. Instead of setting yourselves up for failure, set yourselves up for success, right? By substituting an unhealthy habit for a healthy habit. Now, it isn't for everyone, of course. You know, if, if your routine right now is uh, you wake up to a crying baby and so you have to take care of a baby, it's hard to read the Bible when you're doing that, okay? So it's not for everybody, but uh, the idea is the same. Substitute Bible reading for screen time, okay? Number four, pray through the Bible. This is very, I mean, when I first started doing this, it just, I would say, it revolutionized my spiritual life. A lot of times when we read the Bible, we feel like we get nothing out of it. And uh, one thing you can do is you pray through the Bible. And what I mean by this is you read a few verses and then you just pray in light of what you just read. Okay? These verses talked about this topic, this topic, this topic, and reminds you of how you're doing in life, reminds you how you're doing in those topics, maybe recalls conversations you had in the past or relationships you have or events coming up, and you just pray about those things. And I think it does two things. It makes your Bible reading better and it makes your prayer better. It makes your Bible reading better and makes your prayer better. So I encourage you to pray through the Bible, okay? Number five, read the Bible with other people. If you absolutely cannot get anything out of the Bible, then read with someone else. It's amazing. It's amazing how things that are done alone get so much better when you do them with people. Like you think uh, eating is really great. Do you know what's even better than eating? Eating with other people. That's even better than eating. 
Or do you think hiking is really great? You want to even better than hiking? Hiking with other people. Like when you do things with other people, all of a sudden the things you're doing, they become significantly better. And I would say the same thing with Bible reading. Like Bible reading, sometimes I struggle with this too. Sometimes you read it and you go, I don't know. I mean, I just feel like I wasted 10 minutes, you know? But when you read with other people, I almost never read the Bible with other people and feel like I wasted my time. Because you can't gloss over the text. They're going to ask you, hey, what did you think about that? And you go, oh, you know what? I need to read again. I need to, I need to use my comprehension now. Or, or like you say, you say, what did you get out of the text? And they share what they got out of it. And you go, oh, wow, I never would have thought of that. I don't have that perspective. I don't have the insight. And so what you do is you shape each other, you inform one another, and you help one another to apply the Bible to your life. That's number five. Number six, don't just seek to master the word. Seek to be mastered by the word. The goal of Bible reading is not to be a nerd. The goal of Bible reading is to be changed. The goal of Bible reading is to be changed. It's amazing. I think sometimes if we just step back, we need to step back sometimes and remind ourselves just how ridiculous it is that God has given us a book to read so that we can learn about who he is. Um, God could have just ignored us. He could have just done his own thing. He didn't have to talk to us. He chose to give us this book. He chose us to write this book for us, to speak to us, so that when we read this book, we encounter him and we experience him. And we are changed. And so I want to encourage you to allow these words to marinate in you and shape you. And um, how, do we be, how do we be changed by the words? How do we move past academic nerd mode to being changed by the Bible mode? Here are six questions that I often ask myself when I read the Bible. Six questions, okay? Uh, if you want to take a picture, you can take a picture. Here, I'll have three on one slide, three on the other. In what way is God speaking to my life from this passage? It's always important when you're reading the Bible, not just to think, oh, here's a story, but to think, how is the story speaking to my life? Okay, number two, are there characters, storylines, and emotions in this passage with which I identify? If you're reading a story, okay, and people are experiencing pain, or people are experiencing guilt, or people are experiencing fear, then it's, an, it's a way to ask yourself, how do I experience those things? And how, and what is this story saying to me as a result? Okay. Is there a promise to trust, a command to obey, or an example to follow or avoid? I think it's very practical stuff. Number four, how does my heart need to change? Don't you think about your external actions, think about your heart. What is God speaking to your heart? How is God changing your heart? What specific action am I going to take in response to what God is saying to me? You know, as the Bible says, don't be just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. One of the ways we change is we actually do things to change. You know, sometimes we think about change as like, we, ha- we, have to, we get this fairy dust or something, and then, uh, and then all of a sudden, like we have a new brain and we, we start doing new things. But one of the most revolutionary things, I mean, someone told me this in college was, um, you it's easier to act yourself into a feeling than to feel yourself into an action. It's easier to act yourself into a feeling than feel yourself into an action. But what I mean by that is, let's say, uh, let's say you have a, a drinking problem, okay? And you, and you just, you're trying to quit drinking. You, you're just an alcoholic. And, um, and you just, a lot of your fight is, you know, I'm, I'm trying to muster up my energy to get my brain in the right place so I can stop drinking. And, and sometimes it's, you're just overthinking it. Sometimes you're giving your brain too much power. 
And sometimes you gotta do it. You just gotta do it. And the more you do it, the more you commit to these habits, the more your brain changes, right? Um, so how does my, uh, what specific action do I need to take? Where is Jesus in this passage? You know, Jesus said that all scripture is about me, and I think that's always key to keep Jesus in mind so that we're not reading the Bible legalistically, but we're reading it relationally. We're going to move into communion in a little moment, and uh, you'll have the invitation to come forward. And what communion represents is the, the fact that Jesus died for you. And so you can line up on either aisle. You can grab the bread, representing Jesus' body, dip it in the cup, representing Jesus' blood shed for you, and uh, take it right there. Um, and what's interesting about Jesus is that a few times in Scripture, Jesus is called the Word of God. And that's a phrase we often use. When we use that phrase, we say the phrase Word of God. We're often talking about the Bible. But in the actual Bible, uh, very rarely does the phrase, the Word of God, actually apply to the Bible. Sometimes it applies to the gospel. Sometimes it applies to just generic words that God is saying. Sometimes it applies to Jesus. But very rarely applies to the actual Bible. What does it mean that Jesus is the Word of God? Well, it means that Jesus is how God revealed himself to us. And that makes all the difference in the world. The Bible, you can think about it this way, is God's written revelation to us. Jesus is God's personified revelation to us. Jesus is God's way of saying, you know what, I'm not just going to give you a book, I'm going to give you myself. And what Jesus did was not only did he teach us how to live, but he died the death we should have died. And he died on the cross and he took all the sin in the world. He killed it with him when he died on the cross. And then he rose from the grave. And now there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, uh, and as a result, your sins have been dealt with. It's been paid for. It's been, it's been thrown out. And because of that, Jesus now changes forever how we deal, how we interact with God. Because think about it, if God, only, if God only revealed himself to us through the Bible and not through Jesus, then all we have is just a bunch of stories to model, a bunch of things to do. But because we have Jesus, everything is different. If all we ever had was this book, then we would, we would, we would read the Bible, we'd come away feeling ashamed. we come away feeling like we would fall short. we come away feeling afraid. Because we try to do this thing over and over. We try to meet these standards. We try to live this way, and we don't. But because God chose to reveal himself, not only through the Bible, but also through Jesus, who took away our sin and nailed it to the cross, then it changes everything. Because it's not about how you can sync up your life to what the Bible says. It's about how God has already given you a new identity. And now as a result, you have new habits. That's very key. You don't do habits so that you can have a new identity. The gospel is that despite your habit, despite your habitual sin, God has given you through Jesus a new identity. And out of that new identity, then you pursue new habits. The Bible alone cannot change us. It is the Bible plus Jesus that changes us. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we ask that you would change our hearts. God, some of us, we have been stuck in the status quo for so long where we've been telling us for so long, telling ourselves, you know what, I got to change. I got to do this better. I got to do this better. I got to do this better. God, may the gospel remind us that through Christ, we are already fundamentally changed. 
We are 100% new creations. We are 100% citizens of heaven. We are 100% born again. And there is nothing we can do, past, present, or future, that can remove that identity from our lives. But God, we ask that you would cause our hearts to change so that our habits line up with our identity, so that our condition lines up with our position. God, I pray that you would open up our eyes to cherish your word. I pray that when we read the word this week, God, in whatever capacity we're doing, whether we're listening to it, whether we're reading it to our own, whether we're memorizing scripture, we pray that you would open up our eyes to see how beautiful and glorious this word is and how it outshines and outpaces and outperforms any other narrative we can dedicate ourselves to. So that all these goals, all these values, all these priorities we have that the world throws at us, that it's constantly telling us we've got to slave after them, they pale in comparison to this glorious word of God, to this narrative that once we were dead, now we are alive. Once we were broken, now we are healed. Once we were failures and now we are victorious. May that narrative, that central narrative, drive us day in and day out. God, I pray for the village church in Hamden. May we not be a bunch of nerds. May we not be a bunch of Pharisees. May we not be a bunch of hypocrites. May we not be just a bunch of shallow, fake people who say hi to one another and we are broken and dead inside. May we be like the early church in Acts chapter 2 where we are constantly devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and prayer where we are radically, compassionately committed to one another's well-being so that we are giving sacrificially to one another and so that the world around us, they see us, and they are changed. May that be true of our church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.